Well, hello. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. All of you here, as well as our campuses, those who watch all around the world on the internet, interweb, <laughs> what it was called. Sorry for the slight delay in getting started tonight. Just as I was leaving the house, little mini medical emergency. So I had to deal with that. Have you ever noticed sometimes life doesn't cooperate? You're expecting everything to go just perfectly. Something happens, but it's all good. We are uh, wrapping up the uh, three pastoral letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome uh, to two guys. One was Timothy, the other was Titus. Timothy got two letters, Titus got one, a very short letter. This is it, (laughs) front and back. And uh, we were... uh, We left off, Titus chapter 2, about verse 11. I was ranting and raving about that verse. We'll pick it up there. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, those right here, right now. We can do this right here, right now. We can control ourselves. Now, I was talking last week about this whole thing about your feelings don't defy, define you. If you live by what you feel, you will be a disaster. And if there's one thing that people who struggle majorly with all kinds of behaviors that they don't, can't be able to shake, you know, even addictions, be it to uh, drugs, alcohol, porn, uh, even people who have problems with anger and lashing out. There's all kinds of versions of this uh, that people feel it. And because they feel it so deeply, they are convinced they must act on it. I'm assuming I'm not done in 40 seconds. <laughs> Thank you for coming. God bless you all. It was fabulous. Look at the timers freaking me out there. I have the attention span of a fly. Uh, But anyway, because they feel, I feel, I have to act out. No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, I'm thinking less of a thought. Therefore, I have to act out. No, you don't. Well, I feel really attracted to this other man's wife. I can do that. No, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Well, I really want to get loaded. I really want to get high. I want to get plastered. I get you want to do all kinds of things. Our flesh wants to do all kinds of things. The good news is you can control your flesh. And now someone will say, well, pastor, it's really hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, I, did I mislead you in some way? I, I, was, I didn't mean to say this was easy. This is hard. In fact, it takes quite a bit of juice to pull this off. Uh, for example, for these lights to burn at the intensity they're burning and for all the internet stuff, everything, there has to be a certain amount of power. Okay, if you don't have enough power, things don't work. If I were to wrestle virtually any man in this room, I, I would be at a great disadvantage, okay? Uh, I would need considerably greater power to pull it off, all right? Because I lack the power <laughs> to do it. I could probably take Bob. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even take Bob. How bad is that? So, so anyway, you, you need power. Now, 
You say this is really hard. Yeah, it is really, 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 really hard. The good news is there is power. Amen. There's power available to you. It is by the grace of God. Remember, he says, grace has appeared that teaches us to say no and to control ourselves. You remember in uh, Acts, the first chapter, Jesus told his disciples, don't go anywhere until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Because he knew they, they'd never pull this off. They were about to go on a journey that you just can't do on your own. All right? Which is true really for all of us. We're all on a journey that you really can't do on your own. If you're trying to live the Christian life under your own power, you are doomed. You can't do it. I mean, you, you can kind of do it, but you'll mess up and then you'll repent and then you'll mess up and repent. And just, you'll be in this constant cycle of over and over and over and over again because you're trying to do this under your own power. And the real problem with that is at some point you hit discouragement and you just quit. I can't do it anymore. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Because you haven't grasped the concept that there is power available to you. The power of the Holy Spirit that you want to invite into your life and actually do things that will help build that power in you. Uh, you know, for example, which do you think is going to increase the power of God that you're aware of and growing by reading the Bible or, or watching, you know, Gilligan's Island? I know it's close, all right? So if you spend all your time watching reruns on the uh, game show channel, which is what is on the, was on TV all day today because my wife sits in front of TV kind of in and out, you know, so. Uh, it was actually kind of fun, but it didn't really build me up spiritually a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> they play like these really old game shows and they're still fun. And, and I did pretty well on a lot of them. So anyway, uh, but, you know, I, I can't live there. I, I've got to do some other things or I will lose uh, my ability to focus and to uh, grow spiritually and lack power. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So if you lack self-control, the answer isn't to try harder per se. I mean, there needs to be a certain degree of determination on your end. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. In other words, it takes, a, it takes some intense energy to do this. But even still, you need the power of the Holy Spirit too. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you have a fruit tree here in Wisconsin, uh, we don't have a whole lot of fruit trees. We do real well with uh, cherries and some crappy apples. I don't know, not very good, but it's pretty much just, that's about it, right? The only fruit tree that really is successful around here is a cherry tree. Wonderful cherries, by the way, up in Door County, fabulous. So if you have a cherry tree that's not producing, the best thing is to yell at the tree and say, you need to work harder and you need to focus. Well, it's not gonna do you any good and to shake the tree, come on, it's not gonna do any good. What do you have to do? You have to make sure the tree is healthy. You need to fertilize the tree. You need to feed the tree. You need to protect the tree because what happens with a fruit tree is it doesn't try to give fruit. It's really not working at this. It just kind of happens. <laughs> Boop. Okay? A healthy tree, a healthy fruit tree, automatically brings forth fruit. It's not going, <clears throat> trying to have fruit. Okay? So if you're lacking the fruit of self-control in your life, your answer isn't to, <clears throat> and yell at yourself. 
The answer is you need to prune the tree, you need to fertilize the tree, and all these spiritual disciplines that we do. That's why we encourage people to go to church. And I've said many times, the people who come to church every Sunday, and particularly those who do what you're doing right now, also coming on Wednesday night, I promise you, your life is being much better off uh, and being stronger and you're having more success in your life, love, joy, peace, self-control, all these things in your life, you'll start to experience, and sometimes it'll actually shock you a little bit. Oh, wow, you should have to punch that guy in the face. Well, it's pretty nice today, you know. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, that wasn't me. That, you know, those kind of moments where you, wow, well, that was cool. Why? Because you're being intentional, okay? Sadly, as in most churches, most people don't do anything extra like what you're doing right now. And they're the ones, their lives are awful, and they struggle, and they will come into me in a year, and they'll be crying because everything in their life sucks. And they'll say, Why? <laughs> Because you do sucky things and you don't focus on this stuff and you don't prune the tree and you don't fertilize the tree. You're not going to have the fruit of the spirit of God, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, patience, all these things are going to seem very, very, very far away from you. All right? Now, uh, James said this in uh, James, the first chapter. We'll be jumping around a little bit uh, tonight. But the James, the first chapter talking about temptation. He says this, but each person, he's trying to explain temptation. What's going on with temptation? And he says this, each person is tempted when the devil comes and makes him do things they don't want to do. Each person is tempted when the devil drags them away and makes them do things they don't want to do. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say it. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by who? Their own evil desires. Now, without question, Satan is a tempter. I'll show you a little verse later where it talks about why Satan will tempt you. And he's known as a tempter, and he tempted Jesus and stuff. But you don't really need the devil to tempt you. It just kind of comes natural <laughs> because of this sinful nature that is in our bodies. So I talked about last week. This body that we live in is doomed. It must die. It is beyond redemption, actually. Now, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our soul, our spirit, and someday we will receive a new body, thank God, which, by the way, both the wicked and the just will receive new bodies. Did you know that? Yeah, it's resurrection day. Everybody comes back, bloop, out of the grave, wherever they're at. I don't care if they sprinkled them over the... Grand Canyon or flushed grandma down the toilet. It doesn't matter. They're, they're all coming back up. And they're coming back up and they're going to be wow. It's just that where some of them are headed isn't going to be a very pleasant experience to say the least. All right. We will all receive this glorified body and we who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb will be able to live for eternity with Christ. It's beautiful. But this flesh, this thing that we deal with, every nasty thought you have, every anger issue you have, every temptation you deal with, is coming from in here. And some people are tempted way differently than others, based, quite frankly, a lot of times on their experiences, which I also talked about. It's one of the reasons you want to encourage your young people, don't do these things. Now, will God forgive them if they do them? Yes, they can do anything, and God will forgive them. But these are the people who later will struggle a lot because the, you will feel temptations you know you shouldn't be feeling. And why do you struggle? Because you got a taste of it. 
you know, and this little temporary little buzz that it gives you, uh, and it'll bug you pretty much some of you till the day that you die. That's why you want to encourage your young people do life right so they don't struggle constantly because they've never been exposed to all the nasty that a lot of people get exposed to. All right? So, now, um, so we're, we're drawn away by, by our flesh that's in us. Satan comes along and he exits on. All right? Again, I'll show you a little bit in a, in a minute what happens there. Uh, but that's what's going on. We want to be able to overcome that, not by our own strength, but by the grace of God that teaches us to say no, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to have self-control, and we can control this. And it's hard. It is difficult. You need power to do it. That's why you want the power of the Holy Spirit. So you say, Pastor, does it matter, that, does it matter what we think and feel? Well, kind of and kind of not. There's a difference between what you feel. I mean, it's not a sin to be tempted, Okay. If it's a sin to be tempted, we're all doomed. Because you're going to feel, in all kinds of, some of you, you know, have the, your temptation is fear, insecurity, unforgiveness. Some of you want to stab somebody. You know, whatever, everyone's got varying degrees of whatever temptation that you might have. Uh, and it is, just because the pull doesn't mean that you, uh, that that is a sin. When you start to really um, dwell on it, and at, at what point you cross the line, I don't know. But Jesus talks about this in uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter. He said, you've heard it said, uh, and this is, he's referring to the Old Testament teaching of Moses, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what often happens a lot of times is people, this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And this is one of these verses. You know, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, do you know Satan quoted Bible verses to him? He quoted Bible verses to him to try and mess him up. This is one of these Bible verses that devil quotes to so many millions of believers who are aware of it. And what, what he's saying is, uh, you know, if you're feeling it, you're already guilty. You might as well do it. All right? And I'm telling you, don't do it. So, well, pastor, it's the same. It's not the same. Everybody say, it's not the same. It's not the same. It is not the same. Now, in terms of purity before God, yes, you can be guilty of sin in your heart, but it's not the same as actually doing it. I know of women who have divorced their husbands on grounds of adultery because the husband admitted he was attracted to some other woman. Now, these aren't particularly bright people. But, uh, you know, and I always tell guys, don't tell your wife stuff like this. Seriously, they can't handle it. Women have no idea. If you women truly knew how much we struggled with this, y'all would be much more disgusted with us than y'all right now. I mean, it is a man thing. I don't know what it is. It's just in flesh nature, and we're visually driven. It takes very little. Man, you can be in the spirit worshiping God in one minute. Whoa, look at that. You know, I'm telling you, boom, boom, just like that. This thing is constantly messing with our heads. Now, at what point does that turn into sin? I don't know. I'm sure there's clear, a clear line somewhere. I can't define it. But if you're saying every little temptation is sin, then we're doomed. I think you can be tempted and not cross the line, even in this sexual thing, where you can notice beautiful women. 
And I promise you, every man notices a beautiful woman. And when a real gorgeous woman walks in the room, every man knows she's there. Even though they're not looking. Dum, da, 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 da. But inside, every man's going. <laughs> All right? It is what it is. Now, the ones who cross the lines, the ones going, oh, look at that. Okay, that's, that's when you slap your husband. Stop it. All right? But you don't divorce him because he committed adultery. I know a couple myself. That used to come here, they don't come here anymore. Uh, but their whole marriage was destroyed because she admitted she had an emotional connection with another man, even though she'd never done anything with him. And as far as I know, I said, did the guy even know it? No. So it was her own personal, you know, women were likely to be emotionally entangled than, you know, physically driven. And it's destroyed their marriage. And they both let it just destroy it. Just, just rip it to pieces. And I said, what would you do? Well, because I'm guilty of adultery. I said, what would you do? Well, I kind of felt for this guy. Did you ever do anything to him? No. Did you ever tell him? No. Did you ever say anything to you? No. Because she talked to some idiot who said, this is what it is. It's all the same. It's not the same. And I sit there, and I'll prove it to you that it's not the same. And I promise you, there's a big difference to my wife in me feeling tempted and me getting naked with somebody else. It ain't the same to her. I guarantee you right now. Yes, it is. Okay, let's back up the verse a little bit. Let's look at verse 21. Jesus said, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. What judgment do you think they got? Death. Death. They kill you for everything back then. <laughs> Particularly if you killed somebody else. That's pretty much a guaranteed. <laughs> so, if you do this, you're guilty of the judgment. But he says, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to the judgment. Well, holy stinking cow! Now, nobody quotes that verse. You know, look, I got in an anger with a guy, so I stabbed him to death. It's the same. Jesus said it's the same. If it's the same, every time you get mad at somebody, you should take a gun out and shoot him in the head. It's not the same. I guarantee you it's not the same. You do that, your life is going to change in a dramatic way. Even if you feel like strangling him to death, there's a difference between feeling it, even if you sit in your heart, then doing it. Dude, I know of a pastor personally who destroyed his ministry by having an affair with a woman. And I asked him, what were you thinking? He said, well, you know, I was feeling it, and I figured, well, you know, it's all the same. It's not the same. Good night. So he loses everything, destroys everything, traumatizes the church. All the people that don't trust in him are devastated. Because it's the same. And the devil will do that to you. If you're feeling something inappropriate, the devil will say, well, it's all the same. Might as well just do it. It's not the same. Everybody say, it's not the same. Now, in terms of purity before God, I get it. It can rise to the same level. But Jesus had a very high standard. You think this is tough? Look at Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 48. Let's look at this standard. Matthew 5, 48. I didn't let him know ahead of time what I was doing, so give him a second to find the button. 
Matthew, it's one of the books in the Bible. It's like, it's the first one in the New Testament. There it is, right in perfect timing. Jeopardy. Here's a very simple standard Jesus laid out. Be perfect. What do you mean? Perfect. You mean like perfect at bowling or something? No, be, be perfect, therefore, as who? Your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's kind of discouraging, don't you think? How many of here have actually, will publicly admit you have failed in this area? Some of you haven't. That's very impressive. I mean, see, Jesus, he gave all this mercy and grace, but he never did it by lowering the standard. If anything, he kept the standard here. It's always here. But then there's grace and mercy and forgiveness that helps us to grow in our faith, to reach for a standard that, quite frankly, none of us will ever reach. But it doesn't change the standard, okay? That's why this idea of grace being a version of you can do anything you want because the cross is so powerful, doesn't matter what you do. God's love is so great, you can kill people, it doesn't really matter. There's people who actually teach this nonsense. It's called extreme grace. Oh, the cross is so powerful, it covers all your sins. All the sins you haven't even committed. It's so powerful, you don't even have to ask God to forgive you of your sins. People actually teach this stupidity. So people just they start living any way they want. They get drunk. Every, everything they feel, now they just do because they have license to do it. See, it doesn't draw them closer to God. It actually pushes them further away, which Paul said in the beginning of Titus, anything that is of, of, of righteous teaching will draw you closer to God. That's how you always know. If you're listening to something, at the end of the day, you think, well, gee, I can be a bigger pig than I was before. Praise the Lord. Is not a gospel message. It's not a true message. All right? So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough standard. But if we're going to say, and I, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to, literally, literally, their lives have been destroyed because they didn't understand this verse. So many people. They've literally destroyed their marriages, gotten into divorce for no other reason than the husband or wife admitted they felt something inappropriate towards someone else. <gasps> well, it's the same. It's just, you've committed adultery. Yeah! And of course, there's some very stupid pastors. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep, that's, that's right. It's the same. Well, then how come you don't kill people? Well, there's a few I'd like to kill from time to time. That make me mad. <laughs> I don't want to really kill them, for heaven's sakes. But they ignore that, see? They don't rightly divide the word of truth. Just don't let some verse take you. That's why you need, that's why you need to come to these Bible studies. You can understand what the Bible teaches. What is he saying? Quit looking at chicks. That thing of dirty thoughts. He goes on to say, in fact, if you're having a problem with your eyeball, pluck it out. Having a problem with your hand, gee, what could you do with that? Hi-cha! Cut it off! Now, did he really want us to do that? If we really are supposed to do that, there'd be a whole lot of people here couldn't see or grab anything. All right? What did he say? He's being serious. He's saying, look, it's better to do that than to wind up in hell. Ooh, another take it seriously. He wasn't kidding around. He said, well, I can't reach this. Now. I messed up. So I know that's why. There's grace. Thank God. Everybody say, thank God for grace. 
All right? This is the thing that covers us and forgives us and makes things right. And when we go to church, we should examine ourselves. And if you've messed up, confess it, ask God to forgive you, and, and, and move on and continue to grow in your faith. But uh, this idea, the reason, all he's saying is, look, you do it in your heart, you're in a bad place. All right. I get that. So let's avoid doing these things in our heart. Again, feeling it. Is one thing. And again, I'm, I'm just nailing this whole thing about feeling because people have been so convinced. I talk to people all the time who struggle. Every time, every single one of them I've ever talked to, when I start to explain this to them, but they say, but, 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 I, but I feel it. And they always say this, but, but, but I, and I ask God to take away these feelings. Every drug addict who struggled in their faith has prayed God to take away the feelings, and he didn't do it. Every porn addict who's ever struggled in their faith in this area has prayed for God to take away those feelings. Every one of them. And he never does it. People who have real anger issues, they'll pray, oh God, help me with these feelings. I guess, well, I just I get out of control and you got to apologize to everybody. You pray, oh God, take away these feelings. And, and he doesn't do it. Why not? The only way to do it is to kill you. Seriously. That's how you fix it. The good news is someday you won't have this problem. You'll be dead. Dead people don't get upset. You can poke them, they don't hit you back. They're very patient. <laughs> they don't think bad thoughts. I'm telling you, that's, you have no idea. If you really start to understand this, you actually, at some level, as Paul said, I'm looking forward to leaving here. I mean, nobody looks forward to dying. You know, I don't even like to get cold. But at some point, there's a part of that, well, yes. That means once we step out of this body, all of it stops. The temptations, the frustrations, the anger, all the crazy feelings that we struggle with, that we have to lean on the Holy Spirit. And again, this isn't done easily. You've got to do it intentionally. And God will give you the power to do it because that's what the grace of God does. The grace of God teaches us to say no. Because your flesh will say, well, yeah. No. <laughs> you know. Um, I was... Uh, talking to some guy who's out witnessing, I don't know, maybe in Vegas or something, you know, and there's hookers everywhere, like flies, you know. So he's the, uh, this hooker comes up to him and says, hey, you want a date? He says, well, let me pray about it. She looks at him and says, Jesus, would you like to have sex with this hooker? He goes, no, I don't think he would. Of course, she freaked out, got away from him, you know. But as I, you know, he just constantly said, in his flesh would be one thing, but he said, he leaned on Jesus. What would you like me to do? How do you want me to live this? He'll give you the power to do the right thing. All right. Now, that's for all y'all that are really struggling in whatever area of your life, and chances are everybody is struggling with something. Be it lust or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness or fear or whatever. At some point, you just don't give into it. And I intentionally try to, to fight against things that I either do or don't want to do. In fact, I originally, when I first uh, flying airplanes, it scared me to death. It really did, because when you're first flying, it's not very many hours before they actually let you fly by yourself. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't a good idea. <laughs> so I'm flying. And you know, if you make a mistake with a car, you just pull over. You stop. With the airplane, you can't stop. And you are constantly, you know, and you've got to learn to pay attention to your airspeed. 
because the plane is only, as long as you are above a certain speed, and it's very precise, they got it down to that. 76 miles an hour, even large planes, they've got their number. Anything over about that number, that, that plane will fly. It'll always fly. It's a law of physics. That's the good news. The bad news is if you go below that, you will drop like a rock. You know? In fact, when they take you up flying, when they're first teaching you, they intentionally get you up several thousand feet and then tell you to slow the plane down. So you can feel what it's like before you die. <laughs> Anybody take flying lessons? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? They pull it, it's called stall exercises. You stall the plane. And, and you can feel the plane starting to go, gets real soft, and the controls get soft, and it starts to go, well, and then the nose goes, ah, and you look at the ground, it's coming at me, give it power, and pull out of it. So they want you to sense what that is, so that if we're ever on landing, because most crashes happen at takeoff or landing, the going along is fine, really, unless something catastrophic happens. Flying is 98% pure boredom. And 2% pure pandemonium. <laughs> All right? So, you know, as you're coming in for landing, every once in a while you'll hear, you know, even in some big planes, that was that plane in San Francisco that fell short of the runway. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. He slowed down. He wasn't paying attention. That's all it takes. You drop your heat before that magic number and it'll pop right out of the sky. So this was freaking me out because, you know, how do I make attention? And when they're training you, he's yelling at me because, airspeed! What? what uh, airspeed, he's always yelling, stop yelling! You know, but uh, he got it through, like, airspeed, so now I'm flying by myself. And I'm constantly going, airspeed, airspeed! So much that I'm getting off track because I'm not paying attention to where I'm going. And they gotta do that, they gotta remember all of it, and uh, it was freaking me out. I got to the point, I would pull up to go fly, and my heart would be so filled with fear, I could barely breathe. So why wouldn't you quit? Most people would quit right there, they would just quit. I'd say, I refuse! to let fear keep me from doing stuff. So I intentionally dragged my butt, put it in the plane, fired it up, and took off. Still freaked out. But kept doing it until I overcame it. So I wasn't afraid anymore. You know, now, I'm not saying you need to go fly and kill yourself. But it's, I'm telling me, I, I just, I don't want something, some feeling to stop me from something. Be it fear or insecurity or, you know. Whatever it is. Blah, 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 blah. All right. So, we're going to be able to control ourselves in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us uh, to redeem us from all wickedness, thank God, and to purify for himself a pure people that are his very own. Now, he cleans us up. He cleans us up, he makes us pure, we mess up, he cleans us up, he makes us pure. But he wants us to grow in our faith so that we're not constantly falling into the same traps over and over again. Eager now to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, he says to Titus. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, what does that mean? I can't control if someone despises me. There's people in this city who despise me greatly for whatever reason. I did something, I said something, I, you know. I didn't wave at them. I walked by them to shake their hand. I mean, there's, you have all, all the stuff I hear, you have no idea. Which, by the way, if you ever see me driving, I guarantee you, I ain't waving back. Because I'm in a zone. I just like, eh. 
I was waving at you. Really, I didn't see nothing. Uh. In fact, yeah, you have no idea how many times I wind up in the wrong part of town. And I go, what am I doing here? You know, because I'm thinking, and I'm just on autopilot. Anybody ever do that? You're gonna just, all of a sudden, ah, you know, and you gotta go back and stuff. So anyway, I'm always on autopilot. God have mercy. All right, but don't let anyone despise you. Well, he's not talking about what other people do. He's talking about him. Don't let it get to you. There's some people who don't like you. They don't. I don't know why. Sometimes for no reason. Sometimes for really good reason. <laughs> Sometimes we're jerks, you know. Uh, and we do things and we hurt. Not intentionally, but you do it. And you ask for apology. Uh, you apologize and they still get mad at you. And they won't let it go. They'll despise you. They don't like you. They don't like this. They don't like that. Uh, and what he's telling Titus is don't, don't, let this, don't let it get to you, man. Don't let people, what people think, get to you. Now, I generally do not, uh, but people have different areas of strengths and weaknesses in their life. Uh, I've got plenty of weaknesses, uh, but one of my strengths, if it is a strength, actually, I'm probably a little bit, I've gone overboard a little bit. I, it, just, it doesn't bother me what any other people think about me. It really doesn't. I could find out after this meeting that you hate my guts, absolutely hate and despise me, and I'll go home and sleep fine. It just doesn't bother me. It doesn't. Now, I know pastors, it tortures them. But they've got a different heart than I do. You know, I don't know. I, for some reason, I like to think of it as a strength. <laughs> and sometimes it's a little bit too cold because I don't really try hard enough to connect with people because it just doesn't bother me. You hate me. I said, well, that's, that's sad <laughs> for you. Because <laughs> I don't hate you. Well, I hate you. Okay. See you. Want to go to McDonald's? You know, and it just, just doesn't bother me. It never has. Uh, I have a brother in ministry, Eddie. It used to always bother him. Always would get to him. I remember this one time, this couple was driving him crazy. Just driving him crazy. Criticizing everything, everything. And then he finally came to me. He was devastated. Why? They're leaving the church. And? Oh, man, I'm just so distraught about it. I said, oh, wait a minute. Aren't these the people who torture you nonstop? Yeah. And they're saying they're going to leave. Yeah? Shouldn't you be happy? <laughs> they won't be here to torture you anymore. And he just kind of stared at me. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's more sensitive than me. I just, I don't know. I don't let anybody despise it. I just don't, I don't let it get to me. I don't. I don't. Or I'd be a mess. Anyway. <clears throat> in fact, I often get, no matter where I travel in the world, because apparently I stretched the line a bit. And uh, people always say, how can you do that? Aren't you afraid? No. <laughs> that's why I do it. <laughs> it just, now sometimes people don't like it. They really don't. And they never invite me back again. Okay. But most people like it, so I'm okay. Remind the people. Remind the people, he tells this pastor, to be subject to rulers and authorities. Tough for Americans because we don't like to be subject to anybody. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Rah! They do these cops. I've never, I've talked about this before. I don't understand. Somebody will pull, over, pull the guy over and they're yelling and screaming and cursing at the cop. The man has a gun. Sir, <laughs> I don't understand it. If you have a gun and come to me, it, yes, sir. Right? And why would you, what's your chance of getting off when you're screaming and cursing at the cop? Doesn't that drop to like zero? 
When I get stopped, it's been a while, thank you God. Not because I have not sinned, but they haven't caught me. <laughs> but when I, when I get pulled up, man, it's, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry. How's your mom? You know, how's everything okay? You know, I, I mean, man, I appreciate what you do. I, you know, right? And 50% of the time, they let me go. But just 50. Half they smile at me, say, all right, thanks. Here's your ticket. Just <laughs> being so nice, too, you know. Respect rulers and authorities. Well, the thing is, we only respect people that we like. This is true with politicians. Now, they all drive me crazy. They're all crazy as bats. And it drives me nuts. And I like the new one because he's really crazy and highly entertaining to me. I, but I'm, I'm a sick man, okay? So I, I see him do it. I just go, oh! Yeah, I think I get people mad. This is awesome. So anyway, you know, uh, but you so I don't like, we still, we still got to respect the authorities. It's hard. It's hard. Particularly in our culture. In our p- culture, we're used to telling people to stick it. You know, <laughs> we're supposed to respect those that are over us. Our pl- employers are this or that, you know. Of course, we're the country that has a song, Take this job and shove it, ding, ding, I ain't working here no more. You know, that's what we celebrate. Yeah, give it to the man, right? So I get it. It's a challenge for us. Nonetheless, he says to remind the people. Why? Because it's easy to forget. We need to be respectful to rulers and authorities, be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. You don't have to do stuff that's bad. To slander no one, don't say bad things about people. To be peaceable, be considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. And what was the first word in the beginning of that deal? Remind. Remind. We literally need to remind ourselves. That's a good thing about reading the Bible. Peter mentions this when we get to Peter's first letter. The first thing he says in his first letter is, I know you guys know this stuff, but it's good for me to remind you. It is good to be reminded. That's why it's good to come to church. If some people don't like being reminded, oh, I know this stuff already. <laughs> really? How about you start doing it? You know? Uh, and don't be that way and don't be arrogant and There's some jokes in there, but I'll leave it alone. All right. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And I guarantee you, these are the people who get the most tempted. That's why you want to avoid this. But even if you've done it all, you can still live victoriously. Why? Because the grace of God has taught us we don't have to do what we feel. We might feel it. Well, should I just do it? Do I feel it? No, no, no. Isn't it the same? No, 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 no. You don't have to do it. Don't let, because you feel it convince you that you need to give in to it. So he said, look, a lot of us were really bad. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Hallelujah. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, (laughs) you were just run on sentences, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. All right, let's back this up. 
He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is called being born again. Jesus says you can't get into heaven unless you're born again. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual birth. Every man, woman, and child born into this world ever. Uh, Adam and Eve weren't born, so <laughs> they're passed on this. But everyone ever born is born, stillborn, spiritually speaking. Our spirit is dead because of sin. Every man, woman, child is born dead spiritually. Everybody knows it at some level. Everybody knows there's something not quite right. And they're trying to fix it. But they can't fix it. I think if I just have enough money, it'll fix it. But they get all kinds of money and they still feel this hole in them. And maybe if I get enough girls, it'll fix it. It, it, it doesn't do it. Maybe if I you know, have some boy care for me, it'll fix the hole. It doesn't. If anything, it'll more likely drive you more crazy. All right? Well, I do more drugs. That'll fill the hole. It doesn't fill it. Getting drunk, that's why people do it. They're constantly trying to numb this aching inside of them. Something's not right. Indeed, it is not. They are spiritually stillborn. When we come to Christ, he gives us a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, and he breathes his life into us, and all of a sudden, for the first time, you actually become a whole person. That is what you experience when you come to Christ in faith and you are born again. Now, for some people, they feel it very deeply, and it is rather dramatic. For others, it's not so dramatic. So, well, you know, I, I, I do feel a little bit different. I don't feel this massive thing. It doesn't matter how you feel it. It's just that that's what happens. We're born again. Usually, people who are really, really bad <laughs> feel it dramatically. <laughs> I felt it very dramatically because <laughs> I was really bad. Uh, yeah, but Jesus said, to whom who loves much, who is forgiven much, loves much. You know, it's just the reality of it. Some people have this incredible transformation experience. They talk about how Jesus did this and my life was changed and the grass was greener and the birds were singing. I, heard, I never heard birds before. This is amazing. And other people go, I, I never had that. Well, it's just you're different. That's all it is. John Wesley, uh, back in the, what is it, 1800s? 1700s, whatever. Um, one of the greatest preachers in history and responsible for the conversion of multitudes of people's lives. I mean, this guy really transformed, at the time, England. I mean, it was a dramatic revival. Huge numbers of people came to Christ from this guy's preaching. And um, he got saved after he was already a preacher. <laughs> Which is, he was a missionary, actually. He was a missionary to America. He came to Savannah, Georgia which is like a block and a half from hell in the summertime, you know. And they had no air conditioning back in those days. And he would write about the stifling heat and humidity. And he's trying to help these people. And all this before he was ever really born again. And one day he was reading a sermon by Martin Luther. Uh, this is the 500th year, this year, anniversary of when Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation. And all of a sudden this idea of being saved by faith, by grace, what we talk about all the time. It changed him and he felt himself being born. He, his description was, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Seriously, could have been gas, right? All of a sudden, he feels, he can tell something, but it wasn't dramatic. He wasn't like, you know, this drug addict who has this great testimony. Wow, this was incredible and that happened. For some people, it's just... Oh, I, 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 feel I feel a little strangely different. That's it. That's all he found. And he goes and changes the world with his preaching. Incredible. Fabulous. Anyway, so that's what it is to be born again. 
uh, how much you feel it or whatever is irrelevant, but you need to experience it. It's surrendering your life to Christ, yielding to him, asking him for his spirit to come in, and all of a sudden you become whole for the first time. And you start experiencing things at various levels that you never did before. True joy, true peace. You can tell that God is real. You start to pray and all of a sudden prayers are getting answered, which you try to pray for before nothing would get answered. Your life is changed. That's uh, virtually all of you here, you know, unless you still haven't gotten this, have all experiences. Why you even come to church? Why? Because you're different now. Your friends think you're nuts. Your family's convinced you go to a cult, right? And that church out there, what's the matter with you? They're all possessed, you know, whatever. Mind control. My mind isn't strong enough to control my own mind, much less yours. <laughs> but that's what they think. There's something, what, there's something weird about you. You know, we're all going to do Christmas, right? So we all see family members that none of us want to see, you know, but you got to see them. And they all can tell there's something weird about this one. Hey, you're still a Jesus freak, you know. Holy roller. I mean, they'll give you a hard time because they haven't got it. But when you get it, man, it changes you. And he did this by pouring out generously through Jesus our Savior um, that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We are an heir of, of heaven, which is a big stinking deal. Okay? Continuing on, this is a trustworthy state saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are, beyond, are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels. Now, sometimes he would say this and they wouldn't be clear. What is he talking about? He's clear here. About the law. That's what he's always talking about when he's talking about these arguments stuff. Don't get caught up in the Old Testament goofy stuff. Okay? You get people quoting you the Old Testament. Some of the goofiest Christians in the world, that's what they go right to the Old Testament. The Old Testament says this. What the Bible says, and they pull out of, you know, Deuteronomy. Walk away. You know? You know, we kind of follow the skinny part, all right? Show me here where it says that. Show me here how we're supposed to treat people like this. Show me here that we're not supposed to do this, that, and the other. All right, now you got my attention. We don't live by the law and get into all this nonsense and avoid those arguments, he says. And then he says this, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. Strike one, strike two. After that, it's a swing and a miss. He's out of there have nothing to do with them. Wow. Now this is an interesting part of this Bible that most people don't talk about. And that is, um, what do you do with people who are acting very badly in the church? Jesus talks about it in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 15. You guys can find it. Let's catch up. I'll just start reading it. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Just the two of us. Okay, so... The good thing is you want to do a face-to-face -face with someone to see if you can connect with them and clear the air and see what's going on. If they've listened to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen to you, then you go get two or three other, uh, one or two others to go on. So now there's at least three of you coming back, two or three of you coming back, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if I talk to you about stopping to do something, the way you're behaving towards your wife or kid or whatever the deal is, and you blow me off, I will come back and will it be two or three of us. Uh, talking to you and saying, man, you, you need to stop that. You can't keep acting this way. And if you blow us off, uh, he says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. 
and they had nothing to do with these people. Well, that's kind of harsh. What about love? That is love. All right? It's called tough love. Okay? Now, it says when it tells it to the church, I interpret this as the leadership of the church. This is the way we do it. If someone's doing something really bad in the church and they won't change, we discuss it with the leadership of the church, and then we deal with it the best we can. Of course, usually by that time, they're not listening to us anyway, but if they are, we'll send them a letter or confront them. You know, at this point, it's really serious. You've got to stop. And if they don't, then, you know, we basically kick them out of the church. Although, by that time, they're not coming anyway. Oh, you should never do that. No, actually, that's what it says exactly you're supposed to do. But that's what I think of telling the church. I don't, there are people who actually get people and drag them up in front of the entire congregation and tell everybody the bad thing they did. It is brutal. Brutal. Even if it's not your fault, even if it's not that bad, happened to you. Pastor Joe, working for a church, he didn't, they didn't think he was doing something. They drag him in front of the whole church, humiliate him in front of everybody. That's horrible. Horrible. That was 100 years ago. He's very old. But uh, there's people who would do that kind of stuff. And there's churches still to this day, small churches, a lot of pinheads in the church that still do those kind of, that is, I don't think that's ever called for. There is no need. The only time to really point out someone if there's someone who's really being dangerous to everybody. You know, some guys having talked to him half a dozen times uh, and then he's hitting on everybody's wife. You know, you need to know. Okay, oh, of course, even then, we'd probably call the cops first and get us a restraining order. So we don't even have to do that. I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of ways you can deal with it. I don't think you just have to publicly humiliate people. Uh, but he says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slandered, a drunkard, or a swindler. Long list. Don't even eat with such people. Wow. Not even supposed to sit down and have lunch with someone. Do you know who's a Christian, a claiming Christian, and acting in really bad ways, and everybody's talking about it, they won't change? You just quit dealing with them. It sounds very harsh, but it's called tough love. The Bible talks about that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, each woman with her own husband. Why? Because there's so much sexual immorality. This stops it. If you're getting your sexual needs met, you don't need to go anywhere else. Okay? And he says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Reporting for duty, ma'am. All right? And likewise, the wife to her husband. And the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. That's not to be misinterpreted. I mean, you, obviously, you can control and you have authority over your body, but you willingly yield. You know, before, don't touch. No touchy. After, you, okay, you can touch now. All right? So they're yielding to each other. Uh, and do not deprive each other. In other words, don't not have sex with each other. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. And then just for a time. Why? So you can devote yourselves to prayer. But then come back together again. Start it up again. Report for duty. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There we go. Now we're talking about Satan. Who gets, he sees the weakness that's in there. The lack of self-control. And then he comes, Satan comes along and he eggs you on. And now you're in big trouble. Uh, what else have we got here? Anyway, so here's the thing that fries me. Um, we understand discipline, at least you're supposed to understand, and so many people don't understand anything anymore. 
You're supposed to understand in the Christian community there is discipline. There is discipline, okay? There's rules that we are supposed to follow. But when those, and the rules are broken, at some point, you know, a little bit of butt kicking comes in. Now, I think someone's got a really hard in their heart when you get to that point. It's not talking about people who make mistakes. We're talking about people who make mistakes and blow it off, and I don't care, and I'm not going to change, and I don't care. I'm still going to teach the children in children's church because it's my ministry. Yeah, but you're sleeping with somebody else's husband. I don't care. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. You don't, you don't do that anymore here. We will confront it, and if you act up, we'll ask you to leave, and if you don't leave, we'll call the cops and make sure you don't come back. Well, that's not love. Yeah, it is. There's discipline in the body of Christ. What fries me is that the church seems to be totally incapable of understanding that in the home. They think, they understand, every pastor, preacher, elder, anywhere in any evangelical church in America knows that there is discipline in the church, but they won't apply it in the home. They don't think the rules of discipline apply in the home, just in the church. And they're wrong. And they're absolutely wrong. You get someone who's acted badly in a marriage, they need to be confronted and dealt with. The only verse these people, who apparently are not terribly intelligent, ever quote, well, the Bible says women's supposed to submit. And Paul says here, you're supposed to yield your body. That's all they know. So their version of marriage is, you know, shut up and put out. Hey, woman, hey, shut up and put out. That's what the Bible says. Well, they're wrong. Now, you're supposed to submit to one another, okay? And there's all this, I get that. And you're supposed to not withhold from each other. I get that. But to say that those rules are, can never be violated, that it doesn't matter how you're treated, a woman has to put out to her husband, is absurd. There's no way the Bible ever was teaching that. And these Nimrods still teach it today. Fries my Puerto Rican pancakes. Now, well, the Bible says, you know, really? The guy's a jerk. The woman's a witch, all right? Only a different consonant, okay? There needs to be some consequences here. You're not obligated to stay in a relationship with someone and never confront them. It's just absurd. I encourage couples all the time, when things get out of control, confront them. Confront them. Get in their face. Tell them to stop. And there's all kinds of tools at your disposal to make their lives a bit uncomfortable. The point is to get them to repent and to change. And these elders are, no, the Bible says, woman just so smooth, no matter what she does. Really? You're going to be a big jerk to her? Chuck Colson, some years ago, remember Chuck, he was a big prison ministry guy in America, died some years ago. But he wrote a story once about this lady who came to the pastor and said, my husband's beating me. And his advice is, you need to go home and submit. Two weeks later, she was dead. He'd killed her. And Colson said, that's not the bad part. The bad part is we took a big survey of evangelical pastors. The vast majority of them agreed with that advice. Well, this is like, how do you get this stupid and still breathe? Now, the very same people who think, well, the Bible says submit. Yeah, the Bible also says that church members should submit to their pastor. But there's not one of these guys who would ever tolerate a pastor who came in drunk, stealing money, hitting on women. They'd vote him out so fast, make their head spin. Man, they vote him out for less than that. They vote him, go, I don't think you're doing your job right now. There's no submission toward the pastors in a lot of these churches. The inmates run the asylum, man. It's crazy. We don't vote around here on stuff. Thanks be to God. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you had to vote me out. I'd leave a long time ago. Bunch of nonsense. 
Well, the Bible says, yeah. But how come you don't apply that in the home? If a man's drunk, if a man beats his wife, if a man's sexually immoral, well, well, the Bible says you just got to go and put up with it, you know, do the love dare. That's all fine to do the love dare, but or what's that other movie that fries me? <laughs> the war room. You know, war room, just pray about it and God, Jesus will fix everything. That's what everybody, that's what most evangelicals believe. Pastor, you don't believe that? I do not. I believe in prayer. But at some point, how come Jesus is it? When someone's acting bad, just pray about it. Somebody said. If someone's being sexually immoral, just everybody pray about it. Well, you assume prayer is a given. But at some point, you need to confront people. And if you've got a husband who's gambling away all your money and having sex with other women, your obligation is not to go into the prayer room. You confront him. We don't play that game here. No. No, 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 no. It is not the only thing. Well, a woman just has to shut up and put out. Just, it's horrible. It's horrible. What some of these pastors teach is just, the same rules that apply in the church apply in the home, period. The same concepts are still there, which means sometimes there is confrontation and you deal with stuff, all right? If, a, if your husband's treating you horribly, your job isn't to put out on demand. <laughs> they actually teach this stuff. There's women who teach this to other women at women's conferences. No matter what he does, if he wants sex, you just got to put out. Oh! How did we get so ignorant? Well, Paul said you shouldn't have... Yeah, under normal circumstances. But when somebody's going over the line, you confront it. You deal with it. The Bible says, blessed are the peace makers, not peacekeepers. Most people think it means peacekeeper. Oh, just take a peace, be quiet. Just a, no, 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 no. Those are not blessed. It's peacemakers. You make the peace. People who carry guns are called peacekeepers. <laughs> you make it. You force the issue sometimes. Uh, you, sometimes there needs to be confrontation. It just is what it is. I promise you, any woman, I'm speaking mostly women because it, it, it tends to be women who are abused in this area, in churches. The Bible does not teach that you have to shut up and put out no matter how you are treated. That is pure, unadulterated nonsense. <laughs> My wife, man, there's no way she put it up with it, I'll tell you that. You know, I used to tell the story on my Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage thing that we lived by, this, by the water and Steve was pointing on this pond. Nice place. But if you, one thing that goes with water is spiders. Spiders love water. You know, because you're on your boat, right? And our boats are spiders. Well, all over our condo was just big, thick spiders all over the place. It was just creepy. So my wife said, go get some stuff and spray and kill all the spiders. Okay, okay. Well, I, she'd keep it. I wouldn't do it. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just a man, you know. I don't know. Watch TV. You know. So anyway, playfully, but seriously, she walked in one day and said, hey, no more coochie-coo until you kill the spiders. And she walked away. And I went, why, you can't do that to me. I'm a man. You can't do that to me. So day one, I didn't kill any spiders. Day two, I didn't kill any spiders. 
Day three, I was killing every spider I could see for miles. I sprayed our house. I sprayed all the neighbors' houses. I was killing spiders. I die, you stupid spiders. Now, you have no idea how many evangelical Christians got furious at that story. So bad, we had to cut it out of the video. I'm serious. Well, you're saying a, a woman can use sex as a weapon. It's not a weapon. Although, if you're going to kill me, and I can choose the weapon. Sex me to death, man. I got to tell you right now. Because the reason I got so mad is because they have this thinking. A woman's only response is always to put out, no matter what. Really? Come on. That's absurd. You girls, you start having major problems with your husband. You come see me. You call the church. Seriously. We will not put up with this. We'll sit and talk to the boy. And we'll do whatever we got to do. This, is, this idea that you just sit in silence. Or, or, or people that, you know, you got a spouse who refuses to have sex with you. We have this problem. We still have this problem in this church. I know. I hear about it all the time. Usually I hear about seven years later. We never had sex. When was the last time you had sex? Seven years ago. And now you're telling me? People's ability for misery is beyond my comprehension. I'd last seven days. I'd be going nuts, right? You know, three or four maybe. Good. Se seven years. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. You know, come on, people. Well, and and the, the, the ones who do this are very peaceful, molded people. They don't want to confront things. You think you're being holy, you're not being holy. You're being a peacekeeper, you're not being a peacemaker. You need to go make it. And sometimes the only way to get to peace is through confrontation. It's what the Bible taught. I read all those verses to you in the church. How you keep the peace in the church? Confrontation. 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 What does Paul say to Titus? Warn a divisive person once, warn him a second time, and then have nothing to do with them. It's called confrontation. The idea that confrontation is wrong or unbiblical is patently absurd. It was right in the church. It's right in homes. It's right in any situation. Now, I'm not talking about walking up and punching people in the face. I'm talking about confronting people. Hey, this is not right. Something is wrong. We are going to fix this. And I promise you, the offending party does not want to fix it. They never want to fix it. Who cares? And don't sit in silence. Don't do it. Tell everybody. That's what I would do, I promise you. Somebody told my husband never touches me. Really? Have you told his mom yet? <laughs> no, he'll get mad. Who cares why he gets mad? I would tell, oh, when you're out with your mother-in-law, say, hey, you know, Bob, he never has sex. What do you think about that? <laughs> so freak. <laughs> tell his dad. Tell his brothers and sisters. Tell his friends. Tell the pastor. Oh, no! Right, people across the world right now on the internet having a heart attack listening to this. <laughs> you know what wickedness needs to, to succeed? Silence. And privacy. Don't let anybody know. My husband's been gambling. Have you told anybody? No. Well, what's his motivation to stop? You tell people. We're having our time. Fred keeps gambling. He keeps gambling. Really? Give a chance for friends. Fred's friends and say, dude, what are you doing? Give a chance for the pastor. They say, dude, what are you doing? Confront. Confront. But if you're afraid of confrontation and hiding from this stuff and keeping everything secret, major problems in your life, and if you buy into this thing, well, the Bible says a woman should some button, just put out, you are wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. 
it teaches it under normal circumstances, just like all the other things in the, in the church under normal circumstances. Love, kindness, forgiveness. Is this not taught? Is this not taught? But when things got out of hand, warn him once, warn him twice, swing it ass, he's out of here. It's called confrontation. You will not die. No one will die. The point of the conversation is confrontation is not to hate people. It's to put them in a situation that forces change. That's real love. If you don't have people change, you don't really love people. If you have someone who's doing some really bad stuff and you keep enabling them to do bad stuff, that's not love. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us to grow from it, to be strong people. Help us to have a strong church, strong relationships, strong families, strong homes, so that we can be a blessing in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right.